When I'm not hosting this podcast, I am writing books, but it is really hard for me to write when I'm at home, so I like to find remote cabins in the middle of nowhere to just hang out and write. But I hate the idea of my house just sitting empty, doing nothing but collecting dust and definitely not collecting checks. And that's why I'm an Airbnb host. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. Other popular side hustles are awesome too, don't get me wrong, but they often involve big startup costs. By hosting your space, you're monetizing what you already have access to. It doesn't get easier than that. And if you're new to the side hustle game and you're anxious about getting started, don't worry because you're not in this alone. Airbnb makes it super easy to host. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth a lot more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, are you ready for some money rehab? Wall Street has been completely upended by an unlikely player, GameStop. And should I have a 401k? You don't do it? No, I never. Girl! You think the whole world revolves around you and your money? Well, it doesn't. Charge for wasting our time. I will take a check. Like an old school You recognize her from anchoring on CNN, CNBC, and Bloomberg. The only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. The cold lapin. If it's your first time buying a home, the process isn't entirely new. There's definitely overlap with the process of renting. If you've rented before, you know how to find a good spot, what sneaky issues to look out for, the types of questions to ask during a showing, and so on. But what is completely unique to homeownership is... A mortgage. A lot of first-time homebuyers are intimidated by the whole mortgage situation and the application rigmarole and have serious anxiety around screwing it up. So I wanted to take the time to tackle the topic with an expert. And today I'm talking to Eric Eisenberg, who is not only an expert on the topic, but is one of the best mortgage brokers in the country. Eric, Welcome to Money Rehab. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Well, you certainly don't need money rehab, but I'm excited uh, that you're going to help us mortgage rehab. Maybe we should have a spinoff, mortgage rehab. Okay. So I'm, much I'm down. I'm down, <laughs> definitely. I do this every day, so... I know you do. And I've actually used you to help me as I was looking for a home. What was that like five years ago? And you're so, so knowledgeable. You are like an encyclopedia for mortgages. So let's start in the beginning. What is the process for applying for a mortgage? The first thing you want to do is is choose a lender to work with, obviously. And um, basically, when you work with a lender, there's going to be a couple of different choices. You're going to have the big banks, which are... Wells Fargo, Chase, Bank of America, whatever. Then you're going to have independent mortgage banks. Now, these are the smaller um, neighborhood banks that uh, hire loan officers and they actually fund their own loans and they sell them on the secondary market. And then the other option you have is what I do is a mortgage broker. Now, what we do is we work with anywhere from 10 to 100 mortgage wholesalers And then we could actually shop around to get you the best deal rather than being stuck in one box for certain programs. Okay. So a mortgage broker works with the Bank of Americas of the world and also the independents, totally agnostic and only works for the client to get the best deal possible. Yeah. So rather than going to the big banks, what a lot of people don't know is it's it's actually an even playing field between mortgage brokers and big banks. So uh, when JP Morgan Chase... Uh, gives you a loan. You do it through Chase Home Loans, which is a subsidiary and owned by JPMorgan Chase Bank or Bank of America Home Loans or Wells Fargo Home Mortgage. 
So we all sell to the same investors, which ultimately go to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, so it's an even playing ground, no matter who you use. So we typically work with wholesale lenders that will specialize. They'll, they'll give certain pricing incentives to certain types of buyers. Um, rather than uh, when you go to a big bank, you're kind of stuck with their programs only. Okay, so I just fucked that up, basically. So you don't use big banks. You don't we, shop out to big banks. No, I stay away from them. They're, Why? They're, people don't have great experiences with big banks. And you know, you always see a lot of information and, and people always think it's the best thing to just walk into their bank and get a deal. But working with a small business is, is a lot better uh, and work with an independent mortgage broker is a lot better for the consumer. Now, the way that I always explain to clients is imagine going to Pizza Hut or going to a mom and pop shop. Both will give you a slice of pizza, but sometimes a mom and pop shop where, you know, they've been in business 80 years and they've got the recipe handed out from their grandmother and they actually care about you. It, it works out better for you. There's less paperwork involved, less people touching your deal. You have one point of contact throughout the process. And, and, you know, just like you said in the beginning of the podcast, how me and you were talking about your personal mortgage five years ago, I still remember our conversation. And that's how, you know, most of the clients feel, but you don't get that same level of service at a big bank typically. No, you definitely are so on it, uh, by the way. Like, I don't think you sleep. You respond to emails and texts at all hours. So it's definitely really nice to have somebody holding your hand through an overwhelming process. But Let's go back to pizza because I do love pizza. Uh, getting a slice of pizza at a mom and pop, certainly more delicious, uh, probably less chemicals and all the things. Getting a slice of pizza, though, is different than the biggest investment you're ever going to make. So what if somebody is thinking like, sure, I could do that with a pizza, but like, if I'm putting all this money towards something, this is all my life savings, a mom and pop, like, mm, I don't know, like... I they could go under. There could be issues. Like maybe I want to stick to some name brand situation. Yeah. So so it, it's about what works best for that particular consumer, right? Now, when you and there's nothing against the big banks at all. Really? They, well, they have a higher fallout ratio, which means they, what? They're going to approve basically anybody, and they're going to close. I, I don't want to spit out percentages, but let's just say sixty percent of their loans. Now. With an independent mortgage broker, you're going to have a lot more personalized service. So one of the biggest things that I that I get is I get calls like, hey, Eric, what do I need to qualify? Or how much could I afford? Or things like this. And very like standardized questions. And what I always try to do is not categorize anybody into certain buckets and find out a specific plan and uh, budget for every single person. So with a big bank, you're dealing with, with a loan officer who basically is like an order taker, right? And you put in your information, you, they, they tell you, okay, yeah, you qualify, you know, based on the fact that you're saying that you make $10,000 a month. But Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac uh, uh, guidelines do not calculate your income the same way you do. So if you're making $10,000 a month right now because you're getting a bonus this year, we actually look backwards for bonuses, for commissions, and we average out over two years rather than with a, a current salary, we look forward and what it is today moving forward. So there, there's all these different nuances and a consumer, there's no way for them to know, know this. And a lot of these order takers at big banks, they don't have the knowledge because they don't, they don't need to pass a test. They outsource everything uh, throughout the country. 
So you have maybe 12 to 15 people touching your deal, where with me, I underwrite my loans, I process my loans. If you you know see me on the street, I'll tell you your phone number and your and your home address. It's a much different way of getting things done, I want to say. So fallout would be the amount that's approved? It's it's closing ratio. Okay, so fallout rate is loan applications to loans closed. So if if a bigger bank will submit 10 loan applications, then they're going to close maybe six or seven of those 10 deals. So they'll have a 30 to 40% fallout rate. Right. Now, for me, I'm a unicorn, but but I if I submit 10 loans, I close 10 deals. All these things that these big banks do, you know, they 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 keep this reputation because you go to banking them and there's always someone smiling. But I definitely don't think for heart first-time home buyers or for people looking for a mortgage that a big bank is the right way to go because you do need that advice and you do need someone kind of holding your hand through the process. So how does a broker help? What I'm gonna do during a loan application is the basics are income assets credit. I want to know how much money you make. I want to know how much money you have or how you're going to put a down payment down. And I want to see what your credit is and if you're paying your bills on time, right? Now that's at any any bank. For me personally, what I'm going to do is I'm going to find out more about, about the personal situation. And are you having kids? How long do you expect to, to be in this home? Um, do you have any bonuses coming up? Any any distributions coming up? What's the income like that's that's not being shown? Do you have any side hustles going on? Things like this, because sometimes you have loan applicants that are qualified, but they can't afford the home. And then a lot of other times you have loan applicants that can afford the home, but they're not qualified. So my, my job is to make sure that people that are qualified get into homes if they can afford them. And how do you determine that? So I'll look at a lot of different things. I'll look at obviously like the income's the biggest thing, but um, you know, I'll look at spending habits also. Like, I mean, I had a client last month had five different cars under his name. So he, he couldn't qualify uh, with different banks. He made his way over to me. Most simple question you ask is, hey, what what's up with the five cars? You're a single guy. Why do you have five cars under your name? Oh, I rented out in Turo. I make $10,000 a month renting out these five cars and I've been doing it for 10 months. So I can't use that income yet to qualify, but I could afford the home because I'm making $10,000 a month extra. So we, we figured out some alternative structuring and got his, his, you know, deal done for him. So what would you recommend first time home buyers make sure they do when they start the process? So I am ready to buy my first house. I have 200 grand saved. I want to buy a million dollar home and I come to you and I also go to my normal bank and I sort of see what the difference is. I pull together all my taxes and all my paperwork. What are the things that I need to pull together, by the way? The documentation is determined on your income situation. So if you're self-employed, you typically need two years tax returns. But if you've been self-employed for five years or longer, you'll typically need only one year tax return. Okay. Okay. Um, if you're a W-2 employee, you work for a company, you'll need two years W-2s and last two pay stubs. If okay. you're doing some sort of alternative financing, you could actually qualify if you're a business owner with your business bank statements. So let's say that I have a budget that I'm comfortable with. I have 200 grand saved. I want a million dollar home. I go to you and I try to get a mortgage. Uh, 
how would it be different than going to a bank? So the process would be the same in the beginning. You would submit your income documentation, either your tax returns, W-2s. You would submit two months bank statements to show that your assets are there. Uh, you'd submit you know, your photo ID, mortgage application, run the credit. And the process would be the same at that point, right? Now, once you go into escrow or you sign a contract and, and, and uh, you know, you're, you're committed to buying a property, that's where we kind of differentiate on the way that we process loans. So at a big bank, you're typically, they're going to submit your file to a processor who's going to you know, disclose your loan, uh, disclose your team, send you all the numbers in black and white, process your loan, order everything. Now, with a, a smaller mortgage company, um, what we're going to do is we'll shop around the best deal for you, and we'll typically do the processing in-house for you. So I process my own loans, but a lot of mortgage brokers, they work hand-in-hand with the processor who's on top of their pipeline. Um, at a big bank, they're going to just send it out and it's going to, you know, they're going to work with whoever from wherever. And, and there's not going to be communication besides uh, on the paperwork. So uh, another big thing is we're going to require a lot less paperwork. And the way that we're going to look at loans is how do we get this done for the client? Now, and what are the reasons why we should close this deal? Typically, the big banks are going to take more of a look of what are our risks involved and what are the reasons why we shouldn't close this deal. So if Nicole Lappin um, missed a credit card payment two years ago, they're going to want to know, hey, why'd you miss that credit card payment? I was traveling. How do we know you're not going to be traveling again and miss your mortgage payment in, in, in the next six months? So you're going to have to answer questions like this. With us, Oh, she missed a credit card payment. She was traveling. It, it happens. But you run a process. Like you go to different lenders to try yeah. to get the best deal. Yeah. And then you present those to your client? Typically, I'll make the choice for my client. And I'll advise them that I made this choice. And here's why I made this choice. Um, and I'll give them the options if there's different op- options to be given. Right? So if you have a 30-year fix at 5.25 or a 30-year fix at 5%, and they're both qualified lenders, you know, you go with the, the lower option. But if one lender is offering, you know, 5.25 with higher leverage, you know, a lower down payment or uh, faster closing or easier underwriting process, um, or another lender is offering an adjustable rate mortgage, which at a 4.75, something like that. No, and there's options. I'll present them and I'll also make a recommendation. Hold on to your wallets, boys and girls. Money Rehab will be right back. Money rehabbers, you have money hidden in your house. Yeah, just hiding there in plain sight. Okay, so I don't mean you have gold bars hidden somewhere in walls, treasure map style, but you do have a money-making opportunity that you're just leaving on the table if you're not hosting on Airbnb. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. By hosting your space, you are monetizing what you already own. It doesn't get easier than that. For me, hosting on Airbnb has always been a no-brainer. When I first signed up, I remember thinking to myself, self, you pay a lot of money for your house. It is time that house returned the favor. And to get real with you for a sec, I felt so much guilt before treating myself on vacation because traveling can be so expensive. But since hosting on Airbnb, I feel zero stress for treating myself to a much needed vacation because having Airbnb guests stay at my house when I'm traveling helps offset the cost of my travel. So it's such a win-win. I mean, if I could do it, 
you could do it. And your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now for some more money rehab. What's your take on adjustable versus fixed? I think adjustable is, it's got a very bad reputation from 2006, 2005, 2004. Um, back then we were doing these, these loans that were fixed for two years or three years. And two years moves very quickly when you're in the housing market. So, so one of the, the best product specials is a two-year adjustable rate mortgage. So it's fixed for the first two years, then it starts adjusting. Uh, and then you had a three-year prepayment penalty. So you get this low introductory rate for the first two years, and then the third year, your rate could skyrocket. And if you pay it off early, you have to pay the bank all this interest. And that, that's one of these subprime loans. So that gave adjustable rates a very bad reputation in the market. Now they offer adjustable rates for five, seven, or 10 years. I won't offer my clients a five or seven year adjustable rate mortgage, but the 10 years, uh, if they're incentivized um, by good enough pricing, then depending on the circumstances, I might offer that to a client. If a client tells me we're definitely moving the next five years or seven years, then that might be a discussion. But if anything's up for grabs because, because um, plans change with real estate a lot, then I will, I'll always stick with a 30-year fixed conventional rate mortgage. But in special circumstances, I understand that there's an asterisk. Like Generally, I would stay away for most folks uh, as advice from... you know, Generally, I would stay away from adjustable rate mortgages for most people, right? That You agree with that? Yeah. I, I have an adjustable rate mortgage on my home, which, which is interesting because I'll barely ever offer that product to people. Uh, but I have a 10-year adjustable rate mortgage, so it's going to be fixed for 10 years. But our plan is to sell this place in three to five years. Yeah, I, I certainly understand that there is an asterisk. If you want to pay off your house in 10 years, you know, it could be a lot of different exactly. scenarios that could make sense. So you make your best recommendation, but all of the offers are coming from non-brand name places. Like you're not going to recognize the name of these companies, right? It, it's interesting because it, it was one of the, the things that we discussed before the podcast started. So uh, like United Wholesale Mortgage, nobody recognizes this name. People people all recognize Rocket, okay? Which is owned by Quicken. Uh, yeah. Now United Wholesale Mortgage is one of my, my top partners. Nobody knows who they are because they'll only work with mortgage brokers. They will not do retail. They will not solicit... They won't call Nicole, hey, can I offer you a mortgage? But they're actually the number one purchase lender in the country. They're the number one wholesale lender in the country. And they're the number two lender in the, in the entire country. So they do $15 billion or $20 billion of loans every single month. But you have to go through Eric Eisenberg or you know, your community lender in order to, to get a loan through them. Got it. But that doesn't mean that they're not reputable. Uh, they have, yeah. they probably have more uh, mortgages than many of the banks. They do more. They do more loans than Wells Fargo or Chase. Or, and and the reason why is because ultimately people want the process to be to be simple. Um, you don't want to be getting asked by an underwriter for if your if your mother's giving you a ten thousand dollar gift you don't want to be getting asked from an underwriter can i see your mom's bank statements and then asking mom could you send me over proof of this deposit and that deposit and, you know why'd you spend so much money at dinner because because your mom's giving you a ten thousand dollar gift 
that's kind of like the process with a big bank. People want a smooth process. And, and especially with today's market, a lot of people need to go into these, these transactions with no contingencies. And with that fallout ratio that we were discussing, you don't want to be waiting two weeks for a, a loan approval when a mortgage broker could typically offer it to you in 24 hours or 48 hours. So to kind of get that, that burden, that stress away from you, people just want to have a smooth process during it, you know, and have one person to call. They don't want to call up an 800 number, you know, put an extension and, and wait for customer service. They have to speak to the manager either. For today's tip, you can take straight to the bank. Eric is an expert on making homeownership work for you. But it is true that there are some people who are not ready for homeownership, and that is a-okay. That doesn't mean you failed some sort of adulting test. It simply means you're savvy enough to make the right financial choice for you at the moment. I strongly, strongly recommend listening to Money Rehab Episode 8, titled, Is Buying a House Actually a Bad Idea? To help you decide whether homeownership is right for you right now. To listen, check out the link in the show notes. is a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Nicole Lappin. Our producers are Morgan Lavoy and Mike Coscarelli. Executive producers are Nikki Etor and Will Pearson. Our mascots are Penny and Mimsy. Huge thanks to OG Money Rehab team Michelle Lands for her development work, Catherine Law for her production and writing magic, and Brandon Dickert for his editing, engineering, and sound design. And as always, thanks to you for finally investing in yourself so that you can get it together and get it all. You spend my money.